you would say. Exactly. I had a case recently. I had two cases for the same city. One case went first. They were both termination cases. The arbitrator in that case reinstated, but with nine months, no, no pay for nine months. The second one, frankly, the attorney on the second case did much better and really stressed comparative discipline. I thought I was going to lose that case. The arbitrator still didn't like what the employee did, so he gave the exact same discipline as in the first case. Yeah. The- so it was comparative to the first case. Wow, that's a good point. You're listening to OMAG All Access, a podcast about all things affecting municipalities in Oklahoma. Hosted by OMAG General Counsel, Susie Paulson. Hi, Margaret. How are you today? Just fine. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that um, you were joining me today for this podcast. Um, One of the things that comes up sometimes or from time to time is um, questions about grievance arbitration um, and how that affects, you know, the working environment, how that affects, you know, litigation, how that affects lots of things in a, in a city or town. And I know not all cities have unions, but a lot of them do. And it's a very specialized area. And I know you're one of the attorneys in the state who have done this longer than anyone else. And Way so, too long. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a dying art with attorneys. There's just not too many attorneys out there that are going into to grievance arbitration or just labor relations in general. And so I think it's, you know, really important what you do and that we have your expertise. And I just kind of wanted to talk about some some of the ins and outs of grievance arbitration and some of the things that you've seen over your career, how it's evolved and maybe some some tips on what cities could do better. And um, why don't we start with just in your career? Do you you know, how long have you been doing grievance arbitrations? Do you know how many you've done? I would say probably between 40 and 50. Okay, years. 40 and 50, well, I'm not that old, Susie. <laughs> uh, 40 and 50, um, uh, grievance arbitration, oh, okay. separate from interest. Okay, okay. How long have you been practicing labor relations? Since 1980. Okay. Um, and have you seen the process evolve since 1980? Or, you know, what are some things that have changed over the years with it? Actually, with the FOP, I have not seen as much change. They still normally use attorneys for to present their case. With the IAFF several years ago, they had a falling out with the law firm that was representing them. And so they tend to have uh, their own members present their grievances, which from an attorney's viewpoint, sometimes easier. But it also, the arbitrators tend to cut them a little bit more breaks than they would if they were an attorney. So that's what I've primarily seen the difference is the IAFF doing it more in-house with um, their own vice presidents. Oh, okay. So um, do you know if they they get any sort of training for that or is it just watching and witnessing? Oh, JT. Uh, They will have somebody who's done a few sit-in on a baby who is just starting. And because the... PFFO has been somewhat in disarray. You're getting a lot of changes of vice president. So my experience has been it's a constant learning process. Okay. Um, So from beginning to end, why don't you just tell us kind of how you get involved in a grievance arbitration and um, how that works? My preference is if you do have a grievance, ask your city attorney to help you through the steps of the process. It's usually a four-step process. 
The union or the individual files a grievance. The department head then responds to the grievance. Either the grievance committee, if you have one, or the union then uh, sends it on to either the city manager or the mayor, depending on the form of government. And then if it's not resolved, the union, per the collective bargaining agreement, has so many days to notify the city that they want to go to grievance arbitration. At that point, the person normally requesting arbitration sends for the list to the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service. Some CBA requires a joint request, um, but most do not. Do you know um, any if, if some of the cities don't use the FMCS, are you seeing where they're getting away from that and have some different system of selecting arbitrators? There was a move about 10 years ago to try to either go to AAA or to select from mediators who are certified mediators for, for example, state or federal court. That really has fallen by the wayside. There are a few, very few um, CBAs that identify a list of five arbitrators that you're supposed to select from. Those get stale over time, let's put it politely. So um, I don't recommend those. But you can always bargain. It merely says under the Fire and Police Arbitration Act, if you have not agreed on some other process, then FMCS will be used. Okay. And um, is the FMCS process working? I know when I did grievance arbitration, gosh, seven or eight years ago, um, it worked for the city of Oklahoma City. And we had a panel of, I think, seven maybe that we struck from. Is that... The CPA will dictate, um, again, how many are on the list. Normally in grievance arbitration, it's seven. There are a few CBAs that say five. And if you don't have a grievance process in your CBA, you have to fall back on the uh, Fire and Police Arbitration Act arbitration process, which is really designed for interest arbitration. In that case, you only get five. Okay. Um, So what I've always said about grievance arbitration is much of the case depends on the arbitrator, either the arbitrator's biases or, um, you know, background, whatever it might be. I mean, what are your thoughts on picking an arbitrator and, and how they affect the process and the outcome of a grievance arbitration? When you get your FMCS list, you get a very brief bio of each arbitrator. Usually it says their educational background, their work experience. Some arbitrators will actually put in published cases In that case, I would recommend you read the cases. We always try to score to see how often the arbitrator ruled for the union versus the employer. What were the issues? Were there discipline or contract claims? In some cases, you want um, highly qualified individuals. I had a case uh, for a city where the union was contesting a TIF. And fortunately, the list had a PhD economic professor on it. There we obviously picked that person because they would understand the complexities. I always tend to stay away from people whose background was unions, where they were representing the unions or were members of the unions, although I've won some cases where we were stuck with those. Yeah. But certainly you want to research the background to the extent you can. There's a group of attorneys in Oklahoma where we always submit our strike list in the order of the union strike, and so therefore we know who the union normally strikes. Remember that normally the person asking for arbitration strikes first, and that leaves normally the city as the last person to strike. 
So we like to try to figure out who the union's going to strike so we can schedule our strikes in, in the priority. Yeah, and one would assume the union does something similar. I, mean. I think they do, again, much more so with the FOP because they're having attorneys do it. With the PFFO, they usually have a strike list, but I never can quite make rhyme and reason of what what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your preference on an arbitrator that's an attorney versus an arbitrator that's not an attorney? Have you had luck with both? or what I've had thinking? worse luck sometimes with attorneys because even though the arbitration rules do not strictly adhere to the evidentiary rules, attorneys fallback position is the rules of evidence. Um, I also, sometimes attorneys don't have the background. So for example, if you have an excessive force case, I would prefer somebody with experience on the ground versus an academic. So I think you have to look at what your case is. Yeah, I think that's really, really important to not just have favorites necessarily to pick based on the facts of your case. I agree with that. Um, So let's go back to, you know, during the disciplinary process, um, a lot of times as the the advocate for the city um, or maybe even for the union, both sides, they're not involved in that disciplinary process. They're, you know, they don't know that there's an issue until it's reached, you know, striking an FMCS panel and you're going to arbitration. Um, So a lot of times you don't have you don't have any say over what led up to the grievance arbitration. Um, What are some some tips or some things that you would tell management um, about, you know, the disciplinary process and how that affects the grievance arbitration? Should they contact their city attorney? Um, Should they have progressive discipline? What are just some, some tips for that? They absolutely should contact their attorney through the process. First of all, read this collective bargaining agreement. What does it have a bill of rights in it? Some do. Look at the operating procedures in the department. Do they have a progressive discipline policy? If not, fall back on your personnel manual, but you need to follow the process that is in writing. Second of all, virtually every police officer other than the chief of police and administrative assistant will fall under the CBA, except for probationary employees. Even probationary employees, um, even though they do not fall under the police review board system in the pension statute, you have a due process issue because normally it says you can only be terminated for cause, good cause, just cause. So you have to follow the, the concept of due process. There is a case out there from the 10th Circuit that says well, if you have a collective bargaining agreement that has a grievance process, then on the front end, it doesn't have to be elaborate because you have the arbitration process. Don't fall back on that as except as a last resort. So you still need to follow the process that is in, in writing someplace because if not, you have a breach of contract claim separate from the grievance process. In connection with the discipline itself, there are two concepts you should always look at is one, progressive discipline, but two, comparative discipline. What has other people committing like offenses been disciplined? What was the degree of discipline? So arbitrators more and more, I find, are looking at not only progressive discipline, but comparative discipline. Well, that's a good point. Um, Yeah, that arbitrators want to do what's fair. And so many times they will make a ruling that benefits or doesn't benefit both sides. So they split the baby, as we would say. Exactly. I had a case recently. I had two cases for the same city. 
One case went first. They were both termination cases. The arbitrator in that case reinstated, but with nine months, no, no pay for nine months. The second one, frankly, the attorney on the second case did much better and really stressed comparative discipline. I thought I was going to lose that case. The arbitrator still didn't like what the employee did, so he gave the exact same discipline as in the first case. Yeah. The- so it was comparative to the first case. Wow, that's a good point. OMAG All Access would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. For your time, we would like to offer you the chance to win a pair of OMAG All Access Bluetooth headphones. To enter, all you have to do is head to www.omag.org forward slash all access and click on the corresponding image at the top of the screen. The password for each episode will change, so make sure you are always up to date on the newest episode of OMAG All Access by subscribing with your favorite podcast app. The password for this episode is arbitration. Follow the directions on the giveaway page and you will be entered. Good luck. Now you talked a little bit about the procedures in the collective bargaining agreement and I know back when I did grievance arbitrations, you know, that that was the first thing we would look at is procedurally was everything done correctly? Because if not, that would be the first thing that say Jim Moore would attack. And if you if your case wasn't procedurally done right, then sometimes we wouldn't even get to the facts of the case. And that was really frustrating. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that you harped on that. Do you have um, many cases where the arbitrator throws it out on procedure before you can even get to the facts? Normally not. Normally they allow the case to go forward as a bifurcated case with the front end, the first issue the arbitrator will decide is arbitrability. Is this case even before me properly? Was Were the timelines followed? Was uh, due process followed? So you can lose a case after you've put on all the evidence and they never get to the substance of the claim because they have decided it on the procedure. Um, technically, the city could... If the, uh, if the union is seeking to go to arbitration, there is some case law that says you can go to district court and ask for an injunction to prevent a, a waste of taxpayer dollars going to court. I've only been successful twice in all these years in getting a judge to do that. They normally say, oh, let the arbitrator rule and then I'll you know come back and see me. Um, so what do you do when you get a call that a case, you know, they need you to represent the city on an arbitration, what are just some some things that you do to prepare for the case? I'm assuming you meet with witnesses, gather documents. I mean, what could a city expect, um, you know, some requests that you might make of them? Same thing as if I was representing them in court. To me, there's really no difference. You ask for the total file, you ask for the personnel file of the employee, you ask for the internal affairs investigation, any tape recordings that were made of witness interviews. You then meet with the client and the potential witnesses. That's the time that you can try to figure out if you have a procedural problem. Sometimes you have to sit down with the client and say, here are some problems I see. Let's try to bargain. Before we spend all this time and money, because grievance arbitration is very expensive. Let's sit down. Okay, you gave him a 10-shift suspension. Let's try to bargain it to five so you, that you get something out of this. Other cases are really, you know, pretty clean cases, and you simply go to prepare the hearing. 
I always ask the witnesses, what form do you want? Do you want me to write out a summary? Or do you want me to give you an outline of questions I'm going to ask so you can practice? Just because they're police officers do, does not mean they're good witnesses. They need to be prepped just like any other witness. Yeah, and it's nerve-wracking. And I, I do think there's some benefit to you know, trying to negotiate some sort of compromise Absolutely. if you can. One, but just the pure disruption it has on employees having to testify against each other or, you know, supervisors, you know, it, it is nerve wracking to be up there. And so I think the disruption to the workplace, whether it's people being off work to testify or feeling like they're testifying against friends, coworkers, whatever is... I also think you have to, though, assess the situation because sometimes the rank and file will feel betrayed if you make a deal with what they perceive as the bad guy. By and large, most police officers and most firefighters want a good department. They don't want people in there that are disruptive, that are breaking the rules. And so you really have to also assess when you're trying to negotiate how is this going to affect morale negatively as opposed to positively. Yeah, and there there are cases that don't involve discipline. So there's grievance arbitration over, you know, maybe it's a promotional issue or something like that where someone didn't get a promotion or they didn't feel like the test was fair. Um, how many of the cases do you see like that versus the discipline? I would say about only a fourth of what I do will be what we call contract disputes. In a contract dispute, the union goes first because they're alleging the breach of the CBA or policies and procedures prevailing rights. In a discipline case, always, of course, the city has to go first. They bear the burden of proof. Um, I've got some in the pipeline right now, for example, on can you force us to take the COVID vaccine? Is that a term and condition of employment? Uh, I had one on time clocks. So you do get contract claims, but I would say they account for at the most about a fourth. Okay, because a lot of that stuff's worked out in exactly contract negotiations yeah so generally speaking um how long does this whole arbitration process take and has covid affected the timeliness of some of this covid has affected it in two respects one there was a period of time starting in march where none of us knew what was going on and to my knowledge I don't know of a single arbitration that went. Arbitrators were bumping them for two, three months. After it was clear that we're going to have to do something. Some arbitrators, if you get your FMCS list now, they'll say they will only do virtual arbitrations. They will not do in-person. Other arbitrators are doing in-person arbitrations. But the whole process has been delayed, I would say, four or five months. On a normal year, let's go back to 2019, the arbitrator will give you a list of dates. If you look at most CBAs, they say they contain time frame, uh, frames of completing grievance. Those are not workable. It simply is not workable. You have too many moving parts and too many people to schedule. The FMCS rules say that after the hearing is closed, and the hearing is closed when briefs are exchanged, the arbitrator is supposed to rule within 60 days. They don't always do that. They try. But I've had some as, as late as six months later. You just have to kind of keep reminding the arbitrator of the case. Yeah. And 
And do you do a brief after your case is closed? So is there some time built in for that? Yes. Normally, and we've found this to be very amenable. The union and the attorneys are very agreeable that we usually say, once the transcript is prepared, and I always recommend you have a transcript. I know it's a cost issue, but I really recommend that you always have a court reporter present. Once the transcript is done, we usually agree on a date to exchange briefs. They are cross-exchanged. In other words, you send them in the mail to each other and to the arbitrator. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up some questions that I had. Do you have anything that you'd like to add that, that, um, to this conversation? No, other than I do really recommend that from the very beginning, once you know that there is even before the grievance is filed, when you go through the discipline process or even the contract issue, talk to your attorney. There's no harm in it, and that way you can catch an issue before it becomes something determinative of a, a, an arbitration. Yeah, and and we always tell our members, they can call us too. I mean, between me and Matt and Monica and Jeff, we've all done labor relations. So even though that's not something that we cover at OMAG, we all have experience with that. And I know that you're very open to answering questions too within reason about, you know, disciplinary issues and questions. And yeah, the labor attorneys in Oklahoma who represent municipalities, our theme is we would prefer you ask questions so that we don't get in a bad arbitration award that will then affect the rest of us. So reach out. We're always willing to answer questions. Yeah. So thank you very much. We hope you can take something away from this podcast that will help your city or town. You can find more information about OMAG on our website at www.omag.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or ideas for a podcast topic, please send them to allaccess at omag.org. On the next episode of OMAG All Access... That is going to be an interesting part. I'm, I'm curious to see, given the option in the community, if you could build a new water line or you could install high-speed broadband to, for your residents, what direction a municipality goes. This episode is copyright OMAG 2021 under the Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives International License. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.